Chapter 5 Contribution and Significance This chapter is about contribution and significance, the specific purposes God has designed you for. In the chapter on life and faith, we define general purpose as becoming the kind of person God wants you to be. Let's define our specific purpose as the contribution we make out of our uniqueness. Let us start with a few well-known examples. These are people whose lives speak deep down to our hearts about the need to transcend the desire for comfort and security and to be more for others and the world. Take Nelson Mandela and Mother Teresa. They appeal to us because their lives were not about themselves but improving the lot of others in the world. Some responded to inner stirrings by risking their lives while people around them accepted the status quo and continued with their lives. They could have ignored these promptings, leaving all of us and themselves poorer. Barack Obama, the first African-American president of the United States, is closer to us in time. He was deeply concerned about the welfare of people on the fringes of society. He acted on it by setting aside a promising law career in exchange for a small-scale community mobilization to empower people to seek better lives for themselves. Michelle Obama was out to make partner in a law firm in pursuit of security and comfort. Being around Barack forced her to examine her passions and seek fulfillment by making a meaningful contribution. For Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs, the founders of Apple, money was not the major objective of their creativity. They had an aversion to corporate America's stranglehold on the economy, enhanced by the use of computers. They wanted to design an affordable personal computer for the little guy to empower him to take on big business. Our natural inclination, as described by Viktor Frankl, is to expect a lot out of life. He turns it around and asks, what is life expecting out of us? What is life asking of you? At the age of 38, after 10 years of following my dreams, I had a spouse, children, a house, a growing practice and a car. The dream had begun to pan out. But deep down in my heart, I still had a nagging question. Is this what I've been primed for all my life? What is the future about? A single-minded focus on success would end up in hollowness. Surely, there was more to life. The emperor in the film Gladiator is about to die. While evaluating his life, he says, When you see the end nearing, you ask yourself, what purpose has my life served? A.W. Tozer, the author of Pursuit of God, drawing from the words of Luke in Acts 13, makes the case in a way that forces us to confront the issue. He says, To fall asleep before we have served our generation is nothing short of tragic. No man has any right to die until he has put mankind in debt to him. Beginning today, answer to what God is calling you to. But what is the reality in your 30s and 40s? 
The pressures and intensity of the 30s and 40s will narrow your focus to what must be done to get through this day. You are in survival mode. The focus is on the tangibles of life, money for comfort and security. Fear is a relentless driver, while peer pressure cracks the whip. Dreams from the 20s are seen as idealistic, as passions and meaningful pursuits are submerged. You may not allow yourself to dream further. Perhaps you're still wounded by unrealized dreams. You tend to minimize expressions of love, care and affirmation. You avoid confronting issues. Feeling insecure, you don't share who you really are or where you honestly stand on issues. You lose a thankfulness for the gift of today and the opportunity that it brings. You greet the day with, oh no, another day, fearing it will bring more calamity. Something is dying. At this rate, you will one day ask yourself, what was my life all about? Surely there was more. The things that give quality to your life, such as enriching others, were submerged or postponed to another day. Many people die with a lot of what could have been dying with them. You don't want to be one of them. Todd Henry, in his book, Die Empty, looked back on a wasted life, writing, The most valuable land in the world is the graveyard. In the graveyard, I buried all of the unwritten novels, never launched businesses, unreconciled relationships, and all the other things that people thought, I'll get around to that tomorrow. One day, however, their tomorrows ran out. Do not let the intensities of the 30s and 40s rob you of a full, meaningful life. We are all meticulously and wonderfully created with unique purposes for our lives. This is profoundly expressed in the message version of the Bible, where David in Psalm 139 verse 13 to 16 said, Oh yes, you shaped me first inside, then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God, your breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation! You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made bit by bit, how I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you, the days of my life all prepared before I'd even lived one day. Do you really believe that? There are exciting implications of facing God's reality. You are in God's mind before you came to be and before time and circumstances were created. It means that time was created for your redemption. Time was created for you to serve His purpose. You are perfectly created for God's purpose. You are deliberately placed in your generation. You are deliberately placed in your locations. You are deliberately placed in your relationships. Your circumstances were designed and permitted for you. 
your passions, skills and experiences are unique to you. You are unique. God looks at you and says, I did a fantastic job. I'm pleased with my awesome creativity and plan. If you believe Psalm 139, then the world can be likened to God's stage for you. God is the author, director and producer and you are created perfectly for the role. All the characters were considered and the stage, scene and props put in place. You can live confidently and see yourself as God really sees you, even in adverse circumstances. Romans 8, 31-39 tells you that you are a victor and not a victim. You are more than a conqueror in every circumstance because of what Jesus has done for you. Assured of your uniqueness and victory, you can confidently do what God has specifically designed for you. But how do you discover what this is? The question you need to ask is, what is my life telling me about my place and contribution in the world? In my early 50s, as I thought more about contribution and what I would show for my life in my latter years, I developed a clarity about my purpose. I looked back to my many years of service and realized that I loved the study of God's word teaching its application to specific areas and desiring to see people transformed. More recently, I have come to desire for people to discover their unique purpose. It took me time to get to these realizations, but it could happen much earlier for you. Todd Henry writes, Too many people want to come out of the gate with a clear understanding of their life's mission. You have to try different things and devote yourself to developing your skills and intuition before you will begin to see noticeable patterns and understand your unique value. For your specific purpose to emerge, use your gifting, experience and heart leanings to serve others. Your specific purpose will find you. In John 15 verse 16, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you. Pay attention to woundedness and healing that draws you to others' weaknesses, difficulties, setbacks, tragedies, and failures. God can use these for His purposes. In God's plan, you have a role in His grand redemptive purpose. It might appear that you're doing your own little thing in your own small corner of the world, which is where you should actually start, but God slots you in and only He knows how it will play out, even after you're gone. Mark Butter has this wonderful reminder for us. He says, Your life is one subplot in God's grand narrative, the story arc of redemption. You mutter to God for now and for generations to come. There are many examples of God's grand narrative being worked out unbeknown to the individuals. Ruth, in the Old Testament, abandoned her Moabite gods and courageously embraced the God of Israel. She did not know that she would become King David's great-grandmother and part of the lineage of Christ. In the New Testament, Paul worked hard in the early years of his ministry, preaching and teaching. 
He did not know that the letters he wrote to groups of believers and friends would serve the worldwide church for centuries. William Tyndall, a genius in languages, translated the Bible from the original language to English. His goal was to make it understandable to the English plowing boy. Shortly after he was martyred, his version was adopted by King James. He did not know that it would reach the whole world through the British Empire that spanned the entire world. If God told you what the impact will be of your efforts after you are gone, you probably would not believe it. But being valuable, strategically placed and significant in God's grand scheme, it means you are dangerous to the purposes of Satan. He will attack your marriage, children, health and finances. Satan's nature is to deceive, discourage, divert and distract. He will keep you busy, firefighting, doubting and wanting to quit. I am encouraged by Matthew 16 verses 17 to 19 that says, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Remember that this world is a battlefield, not a playground. So stay in the fight and seek to score against Satan. However, without realizing it, you may be making excuses which deter you from enlisting in the battle. Does the following reasoning sound familiar to you? Survival is at stake. I need to make more money first. There are too many urgent things to do right now. I will have more time in the future. I don't have the energy. Others are better than me. This may not work. I fear failing. I need permission from others. That's for the church to do. That's why we tithe. I don't have much talent. What will people say or think of me? There are too many critics out there. See, it doesn't matter what critics say. Be courageous and dare greatly. I will close these thoughts with an encouragement by Theodore Roosevelt in a speech titled, Man in the Arena. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. Reflection number 1. Consider two areas of contribution that God has been impressing on your heart. Number 2. What steps can you take to begin making them a reality.